Let's turn together in our Bibles to Genesis to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 we'll be reading verses 10 through 13 of Romans chapter 9. As our gems will remember this morning, we looked at the responsibility that we have as covenant people to respond to the promises of God by responding with faith and repentance. And today we're going to be looking at uh, a parallel truth that whoever responds to the preaching of the gospel by faith and repentance are those whom the Spirit is working within. So we're going to be looking at the sovereign uh, electing love uh, of our God uh, this evening. So Romans 9 going to read verses 10 through 13. Again, that's page 1,123, Romans 9, starting at verse 10. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told... The older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. And that's as far as we're reading in Romans chapter 9. We ask for the blessing of our God upon the preaching of his word. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, we as people make decisions every day. I imagine that if you were to to ask our gems on the way out, you could ask them, how many decisions did you make today? Well, these gems probably made a decision about what they're going to wear to church, made a decision on what they're going to eat for breakfast. We have many decisions uh, that we make throughout a given day. Often when we are making decisions, we are choosing between two options. Am I going to choose to have uh, oatmeal for breakfast or yogurt for breakfast? Usually when I make this decision, it's based on a a personal preference, things that I'm in the mood or something that I desire at this particular time. But today we are going to be looking at the sovereign choice of God. And the sovereign choice of God is not based on anything within that one chosen. So when we choose something like for breakfast, oatmeal or yogurt, we are basing that choice on something in the object we are choosing. Whether or not we feel like or whether or not we like the thing that we are choosing because of the difference within them. But as we're going to see today, when God chooses people to be his own, he is not choosing them based on anything in them of any worth or merit in themselves. It is interesting uh, that when we normally speak of these uh, two brothers, Jacob and Esau, we put it that way, Jacob and Esau. Why don't we speak of Esau and Jacob? Why do we unconsciously put Jacob first, who is the youngest? Well, two weeks ago, we looked at Isaac and Ishmael along with their respective mothers, Sarah and Hagar. And we we saw that in Scripture, the Lord uses these two mothers with their two sons to illustrate two covenants. We have Sarah and Isaac representing the covenant of grace, the free gift of God passed on from that generation to generation, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This week we're going to see that in Romans chapter 9, we are going to be 
instructed on the covenant of grace and specifically the fact that God chooses, sovereignly chooses some to be his own. We're going to look at this theme. God sovereignly chooses which one to love. God sovereignly chooses which one to love. At our first point, then, we are going to be giving a little background on these two sons, uh, Jacob and Esau, in order to to understand uh, the significance of what we find in our text. Now, the text is Romans 9, verse 13. Jacob, I have loved. Esau, I have hated. But in order to really understand the significance of that, we have to understand a little bit of history about these two men in particular. Only Isaac, Abraham's son, would be the child of the promise. If you have your Bibles open, you see the same thing in Romans 9, verse 7, that not all children of Abraham are his offspring. It is through Isaac, as we saw two weeks ago. Now, Isaac has two sons, two children, this time not by two different women, but two children by the same wife. But we're going to find the same distinction, that one is going to be the line of the covenant, one is going to be the line of the blessing, passed on from generation to generation while the other is not. So Isaac finds a good wife, or, or really a good wife is found for Isaac, as per Abraham's request. And Isaac is 40 years old when he gets married. His wife, Rebecca, was m- likely much younger than he was. And they are married for about 20 years before they receive any children. Rebecca was barren like her mother-in-law, and it's only after the prayers of Isaac that her womb is open. So Rebecca has the hardship of being barren for many years, and when she finally conceives, she has this hardship of two sons warring in her womb. She goes to the Lord and asks, why is it thus? Why is this happening? As we read in Genesis 25, the Lord reveals to Rebekah, and by extension to Isaac as well, not only are there two children, not only are there two sons in your womb, these two boys are going to become two nations, two people groups. As we're going to see with The Israelites and the Edomites are those living in the land of Canaan, the people of the promise and blessing, and those living in Mount Seir to the east. But more than just having two people groups or two nationalities coming out of this one womb, we're going to see through these two sons, there are actually two parts of predestination, both election and reprobation are being put on display in the very womb of Rebekah. The conflict that is taking place in Rebekah's womb is the conflict as old as the fall itself. We have the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent engaged in conflict. The battle, the antithesis, the battle between good and evil taking place in her very womb. So in the due time, Rebekah gives birth, and the older one is named Esau. Esau meaning red. He's hairy. It says that his, his body is as if it was covered with the, the, the skin, uh, the hair of a goat. He's wild. He's a true outdoorman. He 
proves to be rash and proud, easily angered and keeping a record of wrong. Second son to be born is about the opposite. His name is Jacob. Jacob comes out holding the heel of his older brother, and that's what his name means, heel grabber, one who trips, a deceiver. Jacob will be the one who jockeys for position. Jacob, although being smooth-skinned and more of a tent dweller, remaining closer to home, as Genesis 25, verse 27 says, may appear externally to be quiet. Internally, he is very deceptive. He's good at manipulating other people, so much so that he manipulates his own brother. And by way of deceit, gets both the birthright and the blessing. So we have two brothers, two very different externally. One will be loved by the father. It's interesting that Isaac loves his son because he loves the food that his son gets. He loves the meat, the game that his son gets in the open field. While the mother loves Jacob, the one who stays close to the tent. Esau, because of Jacob's deception, is going to make plans to kill Jacob, his his brother. But in God's providence, at the end of their lives, these two brothers will be reconciled. These two men marry two very different uh, kinds of women. Esau is going to marry two Hittite women, which causes great bitterness and strife uh, to Isaac and Rebekah. And seeing this bitterness caused to his parents, Jacob is going to be sent uh, to Laban, Rebekah's brother, where, Rachel, where he will find Rachel and Leah, as we're going to consider uh, next week. One quick application before we move into the doctrine illustrated here. One quick illustration as we look at the consequences of favoritism made evident in the home. We have dad who likes one son and mom who likes another, and that becomes the breeding ground for intense conflict in the home. Sibling rivalries and parental favoritism favoritism is sure to breed conflict within the home. Well, now that we've looked a little bit about the the background of these two sons, our text from Romans 9 is going to build upon these very uh, two different uh, men and their lives. And the, the Lord is going to use these two men and the outworking of the Lord's Spirit in their lives to prove the doctrine of what we call double predestination. Romans 9, verse 13. Now, this is our text. The Lord speaking, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. Now, this loving of Jacob, as some commentaries have said, is made evident in the children of Jacob. The way in which God loves Jacob is through the naming of Jacob as Israel and then Israel's children and the blessing of the covenant passed on through the line of Jacob, which is true. We do see the covenant of of grace being specifically worked out through the line of Jacob. But our focus here in Romans 9 is not just on... On the extension through the covenant people, but is particularly made evident in the specific sovereign election choosing of one and the passing over 
of the other. Romans 9 is bringing before us the doctrine of election. So as we look at the doctrine of election, what what is God teaching us about this work of, of, of choosing? Election means to choose, to select, to set your heart on one. Well, the first thing that we find in our passage in, Roman, in Romans chapter 9 is that election is and remains a work of God. Romans 9 verse 11 puts it like this. In order, this is the last part of verse 11, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. God's purpose of election. It is the Lord, the sovereign Lord, who chooses Election is a work of God. It is God who chooses to love one, and and it is God who chooses to hate the other. Election is a work that God performs, and it is a work that God performs for a specific purpose. Election is the free work of God. It is His purpose. Election is a design of God, a work of His hand. Romans 9, verse 21, further on, you will find that the illustration Paul brings to bear is the illustration of a potter and clay. The potter is completely sovereign and free to use the same lump of clay and turn half of this clay into objects, vessels of blessing and honor, and the other half of this clay into vessels of dishonor. As the potter is sovereign over the clay, free to do with it as he chooses, as he sees fit, so God is sovereign over humanity, sovereign over Jacob and Esau. He is free to love one and free to hate the other. God is not compelled. He can choose freely. Choosing to love one choosing to hate the other without wronging either. As a potter has right over the clay, none can, can question, none can raise their voice and complaint. That's not fair. Mankind cannot say. Because God is the sovereign creator All humanity is the product of his work, belonging to him. And he is free to do as he sees fit. Another aspect of this election that we find put on display here is that not only God is is sovereign, but the choosing of God is not contingent or based upon man's work. This is the point that our passage makes in 9 verse 11. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad. Jacob was loved before Jacob was born. Esau was hated before Esau was born. Before either son had done anything good or evil. In fact, as Ephesians 1 says, God chooses, sovereignly chooses those to be his own before the foundations of the world. Before God even began his work of creating the heavens and the earth, the sea, and on the sixth day making humanity, God had chosen some in his divine foreknowledge, in his sovereign choice and freedom, some to be his. 
set apart to be the recipients of his special grace. So the point is very clear in our passage. God does not choose Jacob because Jacob is the better son. And he doesn't hate Esau or not elect unto salvation. He doesn't consign Esau to reprobation based on Esau's actions either. God does not choose some and then not choose some based on what they will be or what they will do. Before either had done anything. So it was not Jacob's works that would secure his being loved. Because our passage earlier when we read from Genesis makes it very clear that Jacob is no better than Esau. It's not that God chooses the one that's going to be the better son. God is not looking down the halls of history and saying, well, Jacob's going to be better than Esau. Jacob is going to be a a kinder, gentler person, so I will choose this one. God chooses one because God is a kind, loving, and gracious God who is free to choose those whom he chooses. Same point made in 9 verse 14. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Election is sovereign and it is gracious. Jacob is loved by God because God is a loving God, not because Jacob was altogether lovely. So what then is the basis of election? If God does not base election, if God doesn't choose you because you're such a great outstanding person, then why does God choose some and not choose others? Well, the answer is found and remains with the character of God himself. The foundation or the the reason for being elect remains in God and not in us. In other words, God's character and sovereign will, that is why he is free and that's why he chooses according to his good pleasure. Look back at what Romans 8 verse 33 says. Romans 8 verse 33, who can bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. None can resist his will. And again in 8 verse 35, who can separate us from the love of Christ? His purposes will stand secure. Those whom God loves are the recipients of his love because God is love. At the end of the day, we, we run up against we, we come to the end of human rationale and reasoning. God is God. We are man. We, we cannot peer into or fully understand. His ways are not our ways. Why does God love us? Why did God love you? Why are you sitting here and your neighbor is not? It's not because you're better and it's not because he's worse. It's because God is sovereign and God is loving. We have the love of God upon us because Christ loved us and died for us. 
those whom the Lord chooses to be his own. He calls them to be his people. He gives his grace and his spirit to open their hearts so that they respond to the preaching with faith and repentance. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So those who are are called are, are justified, are sanctified, and one day will be glorified. Election is not only a sovereign, gracious work of God, it is a secure work of God. Being loved means that you are loved to the end. And this is really where we are to to draw our comfort uh, this evening, brothers and sisters. Nothing can separate us from the love of God because that love of God is ours and made manifest in Jesus Christ. When God chose and loved Jacob, that love cannot be undone cannot be canceled, cannot be nullified. And this really is the grace of sovereign, this is the the good news of sovereign election. If God chooses you not based on your works, not based on your merit, not based on what you will do or won't do, if his sovereign choosing is bound up in himself, in his own character, in his own freedom and sovereign will, then you can't do anything to undo it. You cannot cancel the love of God. Now, please do not misunderstand me. This is not an excuse for those who are members of the church to go and live like I can do whatever I want and I, and I can't cancel God's love. No, those whom, who God loves, He chooses, He sanctifies, He gives them new hearts and new ways. But when we, we ponder, when we meditate upon this wonderful truth, that if election is based on the sovereign goodwill of God, to say this another way, it's because the Father loved us that He sent His Son to die for us to secure our salvation. Our salvation is, is secure, is completed by God from beginning, middle to end. Chosen sovereignly, died for in Jesus Christ, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, so that everything that is necessary for our salvation from beginning, middle to end is fully secured and supplied for by a gracious, sovereign, all-powerful God. That is good news. And because we are the recipients of God's love, we can know that this love is eternal and lasting. As Paul asks, who can remove, who can cancel, who can separate us from the love of God? If God loves you, is there anything that can happen to you that can separate you, that can cancel God's love, that can remove you from the love of God, that can take you away And pull you from the hands of Jesus Christ. Is there anything, Paul says, there is nothing, not height, not depth, not principality, not power, not sickness, not Satan, and not even death. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is yours in Jesus Christ. 
That, my friends, is the comforting truth in sovereign and divine election. Once Jacob was loved by God, he could never and would never be unloved by God. Once you are loved by the Father, you will remain in his love. As Jesus himself said, I know those those whom I have chosen and none can snatch from my hands. So the sovereign election of God is good news, is comforting news, that there's nothing that can happen to you that would take God's love away from you. Yet we also see God's electing love is surprising. As we find in 9 verse 12, the older will serve the younger. The older was hated while the younger was loved. God's ways are not our ways. We cannot fathom his mind and we cannot retrace his steps. God does not and has not normally chosen the wise, strong, or wealthy in this world. But rather he chooses the weak and the lowly and the humble. Those whom he predestined, he called, and those he called will be justified, and those who are justified will be glorified. Romans 8, verse 30 puts it. What should be surprising to us is this. It should not be surprising that Esau was hated. What should be surprising to us is that Jacob was loved. What should be striking to us is not that Esau was hated. Esau was left in his sin. He was a rebel, died in his rebellion. What should be striking to us is that Jacob was loved. I mean, this electing love is surprising. Why would God love a guy like Jacob, conniving, Heel grabby, deceiver, and yet the recipient of God's love. Ultimately, the Spirit opens his heart. He comes to, to faith and repentance. But those who receive the sovereign electing love of God dare not presume his kindness. Because all sinners deserve in our sins, deserve to be hated by God. The fact that some are loved, that some are chosen, that is miraculous and marvelous grace. You might sometimes hear this from your friends or your coworkers. It's not fair that God doesn't love and save everyone. That's not fair. It's not fair for God to send some people to hell. That's not fair. You ever heard someone talk like that? A response would be, actually, that is fair. God is giving sinners what they deserve. That what is really unfair, if you want to talk about it in human terms, what's really unfair is the fact that God loved some and sent his son to die for some. That's what's really striking. That's what, what should boggle our minds. What do you, why would God love me? 
Why would Jesus die for me? That's marvelous grace. As we close, these two brothers, Jacob and Esau, prove that God is free and sovereign to do as he sees fit. To love one and hate another. To choose one and pass the other. God sovereignly chooses to love his child. We are the clay. He is the potter. He will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. So may those who are chosen in God's grace respond with praise and thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for loving me, for choosing me to be your child. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for in your love sending Jesus, your Son, to die in my place so that I can be your dearly loved and saved child. Praise God for his electing love. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this mysterious and marvelous work. We have considered a great doctrine tonight. The sovereign choice that you made in calling some to be your people, in loving some, and making them your own. May we, O Lord, acknowledge the greatness of this grace. May our hearts be stirred in awe and wonder. May we marvel in our thanksgiving. Why did you choose me, Lord? There's nothing in me to earn or merit, no work that I have performed. Just the great grace of God. And it's for that grace we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of